One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome to the Red Fox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing you the best of my Times radio show, Monday, Thursday, 10 to 1, our last full week of 2020. So we are, we've got lots of treats in store for you uh, this week. You'll be able to hear the Times radio panto this week. You'll be able to hear our quiz of the year. And instead of having the usual columnists panel of only having uh, a couple of our favourite columnists each day, we've got all of them. Uh, all eight of them have taken part in a focus group with James Johnson, who normally does our, our focus groups of swing voters. He's in a focus group with uh, Libby Purvis, Rachel Sylvester, Daniel Finkelstein, David Aronovich, Alice Thompson, John Kampner, uh, Robert Crampton and Esther Weber. And you'll hear bits of the focus group every day this week on uh, the podcast, along with some other special things we've got going on. And on today's episode, we've got Sketching 2020. How on earth do you find the funny uh, in a year like this? I've been speaking to Peter Brooks, the Times cartoonist, uh, for uh, many, many, many years, and a mantelpiece groaning with awards for his cartoons. And uh, Quentin Letts, the Times sketch writer, uh, he'll be telling us uh, how he's managed to uh, sharpen his pencil and skewer politicians in the most difficult of years. So that is coming up later in this episode. But first, let's dive in to our very first Times columnist focus group. Good. But today we thought we'd start with uh, what a columnist thought about who in politics had had the best year. Is it Boris Johnson or Keir Starmer? So going back to uh, going back to Keir Starmer and Boris Johnson, then um, looking back at the year, which of the two of them has come out of this year in a better state, and, and why? I think Keir Starmer because he hasn't he hasn't had the opportunity to mess up, has he? Um, you know, except as I say, once or twice, I think sometimes he's he's jumped on the wrong bandwagon over the lockdowns. But I I think uh, he you know he, he's come out of it respected much more. Um, and certainly far more than Jeremy Corbyn ever was. And I think the Prime Minister has not come out of it well. So I think Keir Starmer's kind of winning at the moment as we speak, but could change. Do you think of where they were at the beginning of the year and now? Definitely Keir Starmer's gone up and Boris Johnson has gone down. So at the start of the year, Johnson was, you know, riding on um, the election victory. Um, You know, everything had gone well. And then since then, you've had the pandemic, you've had crisis you've had brexit crisis uh um and his reputation's definitely sunk whereas Starmer's has has he's won the leadership and um his reputation's gone up well, I whether don't, or not that's enough 
sorry Grace I'm sorry no. I definitely think all that's true and you can you can measure politically clearly Keir Starmer has had a, a better year in approval ratings than Boris Johnson who's had quite a rocky period it's definitely quite weak in relation to his parliamentary party and his public approval ratings have gone down the only thing I would say is that Boris Johnson spent a year as prime minister um, and uh, you know I remember immediately in 2010 uh, when the conserv when the Liberal Democrats and the Conservatives went into power, somebody said, um, we've got our enemies where we want them. And I said, your enemies have just held a cabinet meeting. So I don't <laughs> think you have. Um, and um, I would say that, you know, one shouldn't ignore the fact that, Bor yes, Boris Johnson has expended a lot of political capital, but he's also been in power for a year, which I suppose is part of the objective. Uh, he's managed to do some of the things that he wanted to do, like leave the European Union. He may be about to leave the European Union on terms I certainly wouldn't pick. Um, and that's because he won power uh, and Keir Starmer didn't. So in that respect, he's had a better year than Keir Starmer. On the other hand, when he was walking along that beach in Mystique a year ago with his girlfriend, you know, discussing the pregnancy, everything's fantastic, it's all wonderful, looking forward, he's finally made it. He could never have thought that in three months time he'd be battling in a hospital to save his life That's with true. a disease that no one had ever yet heard of. No, true. Little did he know, as they say. Is, is, was she Sunak in the mix as well for this question or is it just the two? Well, well t t tell us what you think, Esther. Well, I think he's had a more a kind of stellar year compared to both of them. Because Boris Johnson obviously has massive problems on his hands while enjoying the advantage Danny mentioned. Um, Keir Starmer hasn't done anything wrong, but the kind of position he's in at the moment is sort of a placeholder on. It's about kind of sorting his house out before he does anything kind of um, attention grabbing. Um, whereas Rishi Sinak seems to have this enormous political capital that hasn't really been shattered or eroded yet, despite the fact that we are starting to kind of get our heads around just how difficult this is going to be. I think, I think he's been magnificent, Rishi Sunak. I think his presentation has been good, but also I think the things he's done have been good. And what seems to come out of it for me is he was a hedge funder. And so he understands about gigantic risks and how sometimes you have to take gigantic risks in putting a lot of money in one direction, because in the end it will pay off. There's nothing timid about him. There's something very firm, very organized, and I think very, very thoughtful about him. I found him incredibly impressive from, from the start. I mean, he's uh, like the next uh, prime minister. You, the, reason I said, the reason I said he was lucky is because if you're a chancellor and you've been given license to spend you know, like there's no tomorrow, then you're lucky, yeah. aren't you? I think something. He had no alternative but to do what he's done. There was no other option. So he couldn't have done anything else. There never was any other possibility. So when he announced the first rescue package, I think that was bigger than people thought it would be mm. at that point. And Even bigger than most of Europe. Yeah. I mean, he, he was almost the most generous in Europe and America, wasn't he? I mean, he just pumped the money in and he has again. And his, his problem's going to come when it gets to Easter and everyone's going to start, you know, end furlough and start getting unemployed. That's going to be the problem. Mm -hmm. James, I think one of the interesting things is, I mean, the juxtaposition of uh, Starmer and, and Johnson, which was your original question, 
Um, I mean, you know, if you ask me again about Starmer instead of my uh, attempt to joke at Portillo and his quiff, I think the word that describes him is grown up. So you've got this juxtaposition of a grown up and you've got a clown and you've got somebody who regards competence as the, the, the most important virtue and the other person who regards showboating as the most important virtue. And what surprised me is not that Johnson has suffered this year, because I think his, his incompetence is his trademark, is that his poll, rating have, have, poll ratings have not gone down nearly as much as in any rational country they would or they should. And that's the bit that I still don't understand. And that goes beyond Brexit. Yeah, it's comprehensible if one, uh, if one sees uh, people's electoral sponsors partly demographic. You know, he, he's a representative of a certain kind of voter. Uh, and um, Labour isn't close enough to those voters to undermine him, and that's the reason why it happens. So lots of the, lots of things that you would regard so. as a rational. One, as no, a, but I'm not doing a culture war thing. I'm doing a pure competence. You look at that person. Do you think in that way? Competence, competence is never enough in a successful prime minister. I can't remember the last successful prime minister we had. Possibly, maybe it was Attlee, who was just sort of purely competent. Could have something else. I, th I think one of the things with, with Boris Johnson is that he he has this, I mean, the, one of the reasons people go on approving of him when, when there's really not much to approve of is he's got this extraordinary ability to try and cheer people up. You know, he's always saying we're a great country and we're going to be tremendous and we're going to be world beating and we're great and it's great and, and I really hate having to do these hard, cruel things to you, these restrictions. And I think that that sort of upbeat cheeriness is something that people respond to on a very visceral, instinctive level, even if their brain is telling them that this guy really you know is is hopeless and because we have the fixed term parliament and because he has a majority in parliament i think people know he's not going to go anywhere but at the same time he's going to stay there and go on being cheerful and i think cheerfulness is something which which a lot of people really respond to very strongly at a very deep basic sort of lizard brain level we all want to be happy and boris quite often looks unbelievably happy yeah, that was Libby Purvis there. We could all do, let's be honest, we could all do with some cheerfulness uh, right now. Um, uh, it's really, I mean, basically what you're hearing there is what it's like in normal times in the Times office where all the columnists sit round and uh, disagree with each other about absolutely everything. Uh, so, yeah, that, that was uh, that was them picking over who's had the best year. Needless to say, they couldn't agree on uh, that. Uh, up next, we will ask them for their favourite political moments of the year so far. And uh, what's it like working over Christmas? That's next here on Times Radio. Times Radio's 50 Best Interviews of 2020. UK politics. Including Prime Minister Boris Johnson. And Sir Keir Starmer. Presented by Tom Newton-Dunn. Times Radio's 50 Best Interviews of 2020. Sunday morning from 10 on Times Radio. Christmas on Times Radio. Oh, ding-a-ling-a-ding-dong. Nice to have the bells on the jingles. And it'll be interesting to see um, how many of our interviews have made it into Tom Newton-Dunn's uh, top uh, political interviews of the year. Um, fingers crossed some of them have uh, made it in. Right then, we are doing the uh, Times Radio Columnists Focus Group. Uh, all of the columnists who we normally have on at 10.30 on this show, Monday to Thursday, uh, we assembled them all for a focus group chaired by James Johnson, who used to do focus groups for Downing Street. Uh, we've asked them who's 
had a good year and a bad year politically. Uh, right, now we're going to hear uh, when what happened when James asked them about their favourite political moments of the year. Guys, what's the political moment that made you laugh most this year? <laughs> oh, James, definitely. Hours and hours. Very recently, <laughs> Ursula von der Leyen telling Boris Johnson to step back. <laughs> but, my favourite moment... It was when Matt Hancock was at a press conference and he was asked about the zoos and he just suddenly kept saying the word zoos over and over again. <laughs> Don't lose me now. David? Yeah, my favourite moment is when Robert Peston, who is after all one of our great political figures these days, um, uh, in complete exasperation at everybody else getting things wrong, said, tweeted, will people stop telling me fish is sorted? <laughs> that was my favourite moment. So I then tweeted out, will everyone please stop telling Robert fish is sorted? <laughs> I, I had, uh, I, I laughed more than, more than was decent really at Dominic Cummings in the Rose Garden because I'd been one of the people who was really angry at him breaking those rules because I'm just surrounded where I live by people who have been very humble and very faithful and keeping a lot of rules uh, even when it's not solely necessary. Uh, but when he was having strips torn off him in the Rose Garden and making these increasingly ridiculous uh, statements, I'm afraid we just were sat in the kitchen and, and laughed in a mildly hysterical way. So I think that was the peak, really. Robert, how about you? Uh, I, it was not what made me laugh the most. It was what made me smile the most was, uh, well, Donald Trump losing and Jacinda Ardern winning a landslide in New Zealand, because I'm a big fan of Jacinda. And uh, I was really pleased uh, that she did so well. Danny? Yeah, definitely the, the Joe Biden winning the presidency and Donald Trump losing. That was uh, such a massive relief. I did think it was going to happen. Uh, it, it wasn't funny, but I have to say, with great respect to my colleagues, you all got a bit of a strange sense of humor because I didn't find any of those things particularly funny. Maybe that's just me. Um, the, uh, but I did, but I was pretty happy um, at the uh, at the Biden victory. And, uh, You're not coming around to my house for Christmas. Fingers mm -hmm. Well, judging what you said, I say something I think is funny, and you just sit there, and everybody said, "Everywhere, that's not funny." We'd all pull the crack around the table, and you wouldn't crack a smile. Oh, no. This Christmas, you're inviting me to. You won't be there because you'll be abroad. I think <laughs> if you were there, you'd just be a misery guts about the whole thing. So well, that is shall, we all, shall we all go around to Aronovich's and, and, and loot his bookshelf <laughs> and knock over his knock over? Oh, his please, <laughs> please do. It's not been a very funny year, so I mean <laughs> the eyesight testing was the most ludicrous, the Barnard Castle eyesight <laughs> testing moment, but <laughs> it's not really funny because actually it was just absolutely infuriating at one level, but the most ludicrous moment, the one that, that sort of spawned the most jokes. What's the, what's the mo very quickly, what's the moment that will be remembered the most in 30, 40, 50 years' time? If there's one you clip must, to sum up 2020, you, you what must, is it? You must stay at home. Mm. This is, when he said, when he said, you know, this is, this is not advice, this is an instruction. And suddenly it felt as if an enormous and ancient liberty just to step around in your own country and have who you wanted in your own house all that liberty was gone just suddenly. This is an instruction that I found very chilling and very memorable. 
and the fact of it being on a on a broadcast to the nation as well you must stay at home the broadcast to the nation i thought the masks were the most chilling part actually because you then started watching tv and every time you watched an old film and someone wasn't wearing a mask or yes. started hugging each other you got really yeah. nervy and edgy and you realized how quickly that we'd all become really yeah. sick, just so used to not you feel like that about cigarettes though don't you hear anyone mm, yeah Personally, I I think I'll I'll never forget the the night when they said Boris was going into ICU, mm -hmm. um, and we were sort of putting. I mean, not I had a huge role in it, but we were putting together the paper for the next day, and it was kind of like, what what do we do if the worst happens? I would say that as you're of course, um, Libby's quite correct about the Boris. Uh, announcement of the, 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 that, that moment, but also the President of the United States refusing to accept the election result yeah. and saying, uh, you know, um, saying that the whole thing was a conspiracy, a total fantasy and being supported by, um, you know, by so many Republicans and a really extraordinary political event. And one I think we'll be living with the consequences of that for a long time, actually. There we are. Once again, they all, all the Times columnists uh, falling out there, um, arguing about whether or not their own funny moment was funny. Uh, yeah, D David Ivanovich's Christmas, um, uh, House at Christmas, does sound um, uh, particularly grim. Somebody mentioned a stepladder. The reason for that was that David uh, has got so many books uh, on his bookshelves. He had a stepladder behind him as well. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you're listening to uh, the Times Radio Focus Group with Times columnists. It's uh, Libby Purvis, Rachel Sylvester, Daniel Finkelstein, David Ivanovich. Um, John Kampfner, Alice Thompson, Robert Crampton and Esther Webber. So that's all the people you are hearing from. And we're going to play this out all through uh, every day this week um, with a mixture of politics and Christmas. So today we'll round off today's session by asking them for their best moments uh, while they were working over the Christmas period. I, I do remember one time Michael Gove was editing and I was doing the leaders and Michael ended up... Uh, making me write a leader about the Queen's speech, which I worked out was shorter in total than the leader it was. <laughs> um, and I had, to, I had to turn her speech into a longer editorial than the speech itself. It was quite... The, uh, pretty good. I, was, I worked on Christmas, Christmas Day once and on local radio. I think that was the year that um, something did happen. Stonehouse turned up, didn't he? On Christmas Day, remember the the, 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 uh, the Romanian the Romanian Revolution happened at Christmas. Well, no, but also the collapse of the. So I was in Moscow in 1991. The collapse of the Soviet Union. The flag was lowered on Christmas Day. Mm. Uh, I was working for the Telegraph. Everybody else was working. The Telegraph was the only British paper that didn't come out on Boxing Day. So I was working. <laughs> And I had nothing to write. And everybody else had the whole front pages to themselves. But of course, I couldn't just sit there scoffing turkey. So I was working and had to sort of wait a further 24 hours. Harold Pinter died. That was the only thing that happened on any of the days that I did it. Apart from that, I think once a lorry went into a house. Was a, a light aeroplane went into a house once. It was a tsunami. There was a tsunami, was a Christmas. Tsunami, yeah. That's what I remember having to cover that. Boxing Day tsunami, yeah. Because all the... Uh, lots of one-upmanship there uh, between the Times uh, columnists. Uh, John Kampfner talking about um, having to try and 
uh, work for a paper which wasn't coming out on Boxing Day. Um, you will actually be able to pick up a copy of The Times on uh, on Boxing Day, of course. And you can subscribe to The Times uh, to get the digital edition if you're not venturing out. Uh, and you can also read all the ti- all the columnists you've just heard from. Uh, they write for The Times throughout the week and in The Times magazine and for The Times Red Box as well. Uh, so if you want to subscribe uh, and uh, read all of them, if you haven't done it yet, if you've been putting it off for the last six months of me nagging you, uh, do it now. Get yourself a Times subscription. Go to Times. Uh, radio forward slash subscribe uh, and we will have uh, more of the times radio focus group with the columnists at uh, the same time tomorrow including maybe tomorrow we'll hear uh, which of the times columnists is planning to slaughter their own cockerel to eat on christmas day mm, delicious that was the times columnist focus group up next sketching 2020 with peter brooks and quentin letts Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Jolly. Now, it's Sketching 2020. Let's start with you then, uh, Peter. I suppose the same question for both of you. But, uh, Peter, a tough year to try and make jokes. Very much so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can find humour in anything, but political cartoonists, I think, um, they have different sorts of humour that they can employ. And if it's grim, uh, you can use a grim type of humour, really, um, make it black. Um, But... Quite often, you are able to, you know, um, find the real humour in things, and uh, uh, that's what I try to do. Um, but uh, whether I fail or succeed, it's difficult to tell sometimes. What, what about you, Quentin? Have you found it difficult sketch writing in 2020? Well, I would contest the idea that sketch 
in a, a, a that a parliamentary sketch should always have to be funny because really what we do or what we try to do is analyze the characters of the politicians and that's why this year has actually been rather interesting because extreme times bring out the character of the politicians be that good or bad be that chaotic or orderly or rather dull sometimes um, i think you keir starmer dare i how dare i but uh, uh, anyway i do think that it's been quite a a revealing year and in a sense that's been quite good for business but as far as trying to make people put a smile on people's faces that has been uh, not always entirely easy no <laughs> Has it helped, um, Peter, that the, the sort of cast of characters you've got to work with is, has expanded a bit? The, the, I mean, the, the, those dreadful daily press conferences that we had sort of earlier in the year did introduce quite a lot of quite of ex- obscure cabinet ministers to your, your portfolio. So have you, have you been able to expand your cast of characters, Peter? Yes, I, I, I suppose I have. A lot of them have been around before, of course, but uh, Sunak, for example, is rel- relatively new and has appeared a lot and also of course we've got the medical team and chris witty is a joy to draw really um so (laughs) there's been that there's been that side of things but yeah um i i must say that uh cummings this year has been an absolute gift um so you know uh yeah the the cast list uh gets longer and longer but they're all nodding donkeys and it's uh, it's johnson who's the preeminent person that you're drawing too often i think actually so talk us through, I'll, I'll ask you both this, but Peter, talk us through your day. How does it work? When do you settle on what you're going to do? And obviously I know that in the Times newsroom, you're one of only two people who actually has an office. The editor has an office. Actually, the deputy editor now has an office. Uh, and you've got an office at the other end. But I assume you've not been in there, what, for months? How, how, does, your day, how does your day pan out right now? Well, actually, no, I haven't been in there for months. I mean, I uh, started working from home in... Uh in March, um, and I suppose, um, no, February actually, um, and my day starts at 6.30 with the Today programme, half an hour after it starts itself, just to give myself a bit extra uh, to sleep, um, and so it starts at 6.30, and I'm thinking about the news, uh, working things out in my head all the time, and from then on, really, and I, um, I I phone into the morning conference. I listen to that, which is always incredibly helpful. Um, you know, getting ideas going and and thoughts going. And by two, uh, three o'clock at the latest, I've got to have firmed up really in my own mind what I want to do and what the target is and uh, what I want to say um, about it. And then once you've decided, how long does that process take? What, to to actually draw it? Yeah. Well, I I mean, I've worked out what I'm doing, I suppose, by 2 or 3 o'clock, and I've got until 7.30 to complete the cartoon, which for some people, uh, that may sound an awful long time, but I've got half a page to fill in the paper, and that's quite a big space. Uh, And you can't just draw a scribble to to get an idea across. You've got to construct a... Uh, uh, you know, um, a fully formed um, cartoon, really, to make it uh, viable in that space. So, um, and then things change, things happen, things, um, you know, start to go wrong. Uh, later in the day, the news changes, and so you've got to change with it. God, I'm sounding a bit like uh, Boris Johnson there. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, you do have to adapt your, um, you do have to adapt things um, when, uh, 
when life changes. <laughs> and what about you, Quentin? How's your um, how does your day pan out? Have you been still going into Westminster every day? Uh, I've been trying to as much as possible. I'm speaking to you now from Tier One Herefordshire, um, uh, and we're, yeah, very yeah, pleased, yeah, yeah. we're very pleased with ourselves for being that. We're about the only place in the country uh, feeling cheerful at the moment. These ghastly daily press conferences have become daily trips to the dentist for the sketch writers, and they they quite often uh, happen late. Um, Boris has difficulty making anything around on time. It was noticeable that when Dominic Raab was in charge of them, that the trains ran on time. But uh, Boris got <laughs> often late. So that has pushed back the sketching day. And for those of us who also tried to do a bit of, of theatre um, criticism in the evening, that was tricky. But of course, the theatre has been so whacked by events that that has been less of a problem. Um, being a sketch writer is a bit like being a slip catcher in cricket, in that you can wait ages. You can take extensive notes of very, very boring debates and then suddenly something happens that might make a sketch. Although I hasten to say that what we do as sketch writers is nowhere near as sophisticated and as beautiful uh, as what Peter does. But uh, you can wait for ages, and then suddenly something will happen, and you might get some remark by that gormless boy, Gavin Williamson, which just makes your day. Uh, someone was saying to me, what's the most boring press conference? I said, a, a Gavin Williamson one's pretty bad, but then the bloke said, I was talking to said, I raised you Alok Sharma. And uh, <laughs> Sharma is a, a real collector's item, almost completely unsketchable, actually. Um, and the, maybe, uh, maybe he's doing it on purpose. I mean, that's, maybe that's not a bad tactic. The only thing about him, actually, he's got a sort of badger's haircut which is very, it's sort of, it's, it's both spiky and slick, um, slicked back. It, it's a very curious thing, his haircut. But um, I would say that politicians haven't been the only ones that we've been able to alight on this year. Not necessarily um, sketch writers, parliamentary sketch writers, but cartoonists. Don't forget Prince Harry. And I think he's been one of the tremendous, I think he's done tremendous public service this year, Prince Harry, by... Um, behaving quite so stupidly and uh, putting us all making us all very feel very much more cheerful <laughs> yes uh, I'd I, add, I imagine uh, we'll be I'd downloading his Andrew podcast that list. <laughs> oh yes of course the, he's the gift it keeps on giving as well so God, i was going to ask for highlights and lowlights but i don't know whether it may well be that your professional highlights are the sort of the nation's lowlights but what sort of sticks in your mind whether it's um you know great moments that you witnessed or that you then uh, captured let's start with you first of all peter any particular cartoons that that you can still remember or or just moments that stick it stick in your mind well i think um well these conferences that quentin's already alluded to um the press briefings i mean uh the press briefings uh, from downing street um i can remember thinking oh this is so ridiculous one minute it's one thing and the next minute it's another from johnson so i drew him as vicky pollard um and the whole idea being that there he is and he makes a very good vicky pollard uh standing behind the lectern and on the front of course they have this three-stage um uh sloganing that they've been used to putting on and so it was vicky pollard saying yeah but no but yeah but uh which to me <laughs> summed up uh, his completely and absolutely you know non-specific <laughs> way of telling us uh telling us things what about you quentin what, what which your sketches sticks at the mind I would beg your listeners to remember the, the great comic event of the year, which was Sir Ed Davies' conference speech. Um, <laughs> which was delivered, delivered, there he was, the new Lib Dem leader, and he gave us a real tearjerker. It was a three-hanky job, as he described his life in every uh, dreadful detail. And um, he, was, he was trying to make us cry, and 
He, he did, but it was, I'm afraid he, a lot of us crying with laughter at the same time. And um, the other thing, I've enjoyed these lockdown hypocrites very much. Um, uh, not only Cummings zooming up to <laughs> County Durham to test his eyes, but also Professor Pantsdown, Neil Ferguson. I thought that was uh, a corker. And then Rigby, Rigby and Burley, which sounds like a bra firm, but it's actually a couple of Sky News presenters who um, got caught doing things they shouldn't have been doing during lockdown. And these, these people are um, selfless in the way that they've thrown themselves uh, uh, under the train in order to, to cheer us up. So, you know, there are good things, I would say to listeners, don't despair. Just because your Christmas has been cancelled, don't despair. You know, there are people prepared in public life to do extremely silly things to try to <laughs> cheer you up. <laughs> right, OK, in a minute, I want to ask you both for your, your favourite politicians. And I also want to talk about whether or not you, you feel at any point you go too far or if you've got any sympathy uh, for them. We'll do that next here on Times Radio. Times Radio's 50 Best Interviews of 2020. US Politics. States, no blue states, just the United States. The best of the U.S. presidential election campaign. This is the most important election in the history of our country. Times Radio's 50 best interviews of 2020. U.S. politics. Sunday afternoon from 4 on Times Radio. Times Radio with Matt Chorley. Okay, Matt Chorley, uh, looking at sketching 2020 with Peter Brooks, the Times cartoonist, and Quentin Letts, the sketch writer. So, yeah, I'm just wondering whether, you know, there are politicians, they're making difficult decisions, maybe not always the right ones and not always at the same time, at the right time, but, you know, they're they're the ones (laughs) making difficult decisions while we're, you know, uh, poking them from a distance with a pencil or a paintbrush. I I wonder, Quentin, do you ever feel sorry for them? Oh, uh, sometimes, I suppose so. But if we don't... Uh, take the mickey out of them, then they can become dangerous. So I do think it's important to bear that in mind. And in a year when there has been an awful lot of authoritarianism around, uh, that is very much worth bearing in mind. But who have been the ones who've really cheered us up? I thought that that picture of Sir Keir Starmer bending the knee with Angela Rayner, I love that photograph. And it looked as though they were about to start the 100 yards, um, you know, beat you to the end of um, the the parliamentary precinct, Angela. Um, Michael Gove is always terrific value. Uh, Jonathan Van Tam has been an, uh, a, a real discovery this year. And yeah. but the man I really, I have mentioned him briefly earlier, the man we can never really do any better, the man who is a world beater. You know, you can, Boris is always going on about world beating. Well, we have got a world beating education secretary, Gavin Williams. <laughs> uh, and the man who told Vladimir Putin to shut up and go away. Uh, I just think he is in a class of his own. So he would be my man of the year. Wow. I mean, that's high praise. It is one of those things when I come to write my column on a Saturday, on, on a Friday for Saturday's paper, I'm like, can I do Gavin Williamson again? Because <laughs> um, almost every week there's something that he's, uh, he, he's done. He's um, what about you, Peter? Your favourites your favorites of the year and any you feel sorry for, Peter? Oh, well, I don't feel sorry for them, I have to say. Um, I don't think I'm quite as uh, generous... <laughs> As Quentin is in that regard, because I, put it this way: I started off, the, the, you know, in February and March when when the um, when the whole thing hit us, um, feeling, oh God, you know, I've got to got to be a bit careful here because you know they didn't cause this, um, the government, um, you know, it's hardly their fault. Um, have I probably pulled my punches, as I think quite a few cartoonists did, but 
it didn't last very long because all the disasters that followed, you know, like, um, oh, care homes, uh, PPE, all that sort of thing. Um, uh, you know, it's, um, it's been a disaster uh, for a lot of the time just in management and handling it. Um, but I think uh, one person I would add to um, Quentin's list is um, more, uh, is Pretty Patel. Um, oh, yes, I'm yes, sort of... sorry, I should have meant that. <laughs> well, she was a gift that uh, sort of kept relatively quiet uh, for a lot of the year and then suddenly burst into full fruit. Uh, you know, there she was, um, sort of bullying like crazy. Um, and, um, you know, the, the whole business of her still being there is just un unbelievable to me. I, I spent some um, while drawing them all as the Adams family for, a, for a, you know, I, I've done that on two or three occasions. And she makes a brilliant Morticia, frankly. And uh, <laughs> as Rob makes a, a good lurch to the manservant. And so, you know, you can put these characters um, to good use, it seems to me. Yeah, Pretty Patel is one of those where we can go long. Unlike Gavin Williamson, who sort of d does sort of the gift that gives every week. Pretty Patel, you go for long periods without her, but it is gold yep. when it arrives. Whether it was the, um, yeah, have you have you accidentally been a bully at work and it wasn't your fault? Uh, fiasco. <laughs> the mingling, phoning, phoning shopping her neighbours to the police is always one of my favourites. Yeah. <laughs> Tobias always got on the wrong side of her, obviously as well, because she she had him at the weekend. Yes, yeah, with that extraordinary, yeah, he's another one to add to the list uh, of the... He's of on the, a fuselage. Um, my, I think my favourite was the 300,034,974,000. She was trying to, literally reading out a big number was um, too complicated, <laughs> one of those early early press conferences. Now, um, somebody's uh, got in touch with us, uh, Peter, saying um, mm -hmm. they've, they own lots of your cartoons already. Um, they've got a sh they've got a wall walls full of them at home, but they want where where can they get your calendar this year? Is there a Peter Brooks calendar this year? Well, I'm f afraid to say I, I, I rather well. I've been told it's sold out. Um, oh. <laughs> I'm happy I'm happy to say, but afraid to say at the same time. I've had a few people trying to uh, get in touch with me about it, and I've just had to say that my information is that uh, it's no longer available. But they may have reprinted it. I don't quite know. And you can get what? it through. Um, uh, Times prints, um, newsprints, um, sell the calendar uh, through the Times. But they've all gone. Like all the politicians you draw, you've sold out. Uh, you know, Stephen Penny. <laughs> Stephen Penny got in touch saying he's got lots of your cartoons all over the walls. Uh, Peter, one of the things that always intrigued me is politicians who buy the cartoons that you've done mm. of them, making them look stupid. Do you like that? Are you Is it a compliment or is it do you sometimes wish, well, I wish I'd been ruder about you? Yeah, no, no, no. I don't like that at all. But actually, I don't. Um, I don't sell to col uh, to politicians. I mean, I sell through a gallery, Chris Beetle's gallery, and sell my originals. And I've no idea who buys them, frankly. Um, and uh, for that very reason, I don't. <laughs> I don't want to know either, because my feeling is when a politician uh, buys um, a cartoon, um, buy any cartoonist. I mean, they failed. Because, um, you know, the guy's obviously wanting to put it up on the wall. I mean, the great shame is for most of us is that they actually probably hang it up in their loo, which is the cliche that <laughs> they, they put about that that's where it's going to go. Um, but anyway, um, you know, I, uh, I don't like the idea that they've got them because, <laughs> um, you know, it does mean, uh, uh, you know, I haven't uh, I haven't done my job in certain respects. 
Uh, look, Quentin, I know, I know occasionally one or two of my columns have ended up in Cabinet Ministers' downstairs loos. Is the same thing happen with your sketches? Uh, what, well, on the wall or on the roller? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I very much doubt it. But, you know, the thing is about these people, um, is that, uh, you have to bear it. I mean, I'm not entirely uncharitable, and I do, do feel that they are, first of all, they are elected, unlike we, uh, um, we scribes, and also they are trying to do their best. But you can help them by cartooning them and by sketching them, because it makes them in, turns them into characters, and that makes them more relatable to the public. So there is actually a democratic function. It's not in, we're not entirely destructive, I hope. And they, we do uh, um, fulfill some very minor um, uh, democratic function in trying to make them more alive to the voters, and that engages people. OK, so looking ahead to 2021 then, where do you think the sort of the best newcomers are going to be? Who are the ones that you're, you think we might see more of or you're looking forward to, to, oh, to yeah. poking more, Quentin? Well, there's a man called Chris Philp, who's very promising, who is a junior minister in the Home Department. He's the immigration minister. And he is very blinky and blurty. Uh, he's a bit like, um, uh, he, do you remember that um, character, um, Darling, Captain Darling in the, in the Blackadder series, played by Tim McInerney? He speaks a bit like him. And he has a tremendous way of walking. His gait is very peculiar because he walks on his tiptoes, but he takes extremely long steps. So he has a sort of long, very elongated tread, which is done on tiptoes. And it, he is just a, he's a delight to watch. And I think he's going to be um, a, a man who can, who can keep us going during the coming months. <laughs> <laughs> what might be still some difficult months ahead. What about you, Peter? Anyone in particular you're, you're looking forward to drawing um, more? Not in particular. I mean, it's a terribly difficult thing for a cartoonist to uh, project like that, simply because you can only really draw characters, uh, draw politicians, when they are, um, so when the public are, are, are aware of A, who they are, and B, what they look like to a degree. Otherwise, you're drawing people that people haven't got a clue this is despite the fact whether you draw them well, well or not. Um, if they don't recognise who you're drawing, then the point is lost. So they've got to actually get there pretty fast and pretty um, uh, permanently before you can start drawing them. Well, we haven't mentioned, of course, the Scots Nats, and they are um, a guinea a minute because they're always so completely furious, um, <laughs> hopping up and down. Um, with agitation and steam coming out of every orifice. And uh, Ian Blackford, particularly angry. Uh, he, he, of course, an uh, extremely rich man who lives in a large house in the west of Scotland. Um, he seems to be doing all right for himself. But, um, and also there's a man called Pete Wishart, who's a Scotsnat MP, who I love. I love Wishart because he's lost a few of his teeth. And he com comes in very close to the Zoom camera. We now have Zoom in the House of Commons. And so we get close-ups of these geezers. And they, they're contributing. And they get closer and closer to the camera, the more cross that they get. And by the end of it, Pete Wishart's uh, camera lens is flecked with spit. And he sort of needs windscreen wipers. So he, he's, he's an absolute beaut. One of the highlights, actually, of the Zoom has been um, the, so the, the tour of Ian Blackford's house. At PM Keys has been <laughs> yeah. a different room. Is it, I was, different I wing every week. An estate agent, yeah, in a different, a different room every, <laughs> every day. Very quickly, I feel like we, I'm not sure we've even mentioned the leader of the opposition. Peter, you used to do Ed Miliband up as Wallace, as from uh, yeah. Wallace and Gromit. Uh, yeah. Have you managed to latch on to something with Keir Starmer? 
Well, summer? actually, now that he brought um, Ed Miliband back into the Shadow Cabinet, I've been able to use him as Gromit as well on a few occasions. Uh, and he actually does make a splendid Gromit because he's got that, uh, the, 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 the hair works, but obviously not in reality for Gromit, but that still works, and that shoots up. And also these uh, rather perplexed and concerned, worried eyes that he has sort of works perfectly for for Gromit um, uh, in my eyes, but I don't imagine it's something that I will carry on with like that um, uh, because it doesn't, the, the joke can't be sustained, if you like. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I do do use it a few times, and that's the way I've drawn him. He actually is, he actually is rather good to portray, I think. What about you, Quentin? I, realize, I just realised we've kept you from watching Keir Starmer's big speech on the union today. Do you, do oh, you no, relish... I missed it. Oh, well. <laughs> he's, he's, uh, Sir Keir uh, Starmer QC, he is a sort of negative iron. He's de-electrifying. And when he comes on in the House of Commons, you can feel the lights starting to dim and the record player slowing and people slowly uh, falling to sleep. He, he's not, he's not, not a scintillator yet. But that has its own appeal, and I dare say that um, there are good things ahead for us uh, in sketching with, with Sir Keir. Well, that's it for this episode of Red Box. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Maybe even leave us a rating because it helps with the mumbo-jumbo charts. We release an episode every day, Monday to Thursday, featuring the best bits of my Times radio show. You can listen to the whole thing uh, Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. It's available on DAB, online, via smart speaker or on the Times radio app. If you want to read more about all of the stories we've been discussing, then go to times.radio forward slash subscribe. 